Hi, and welcome to the iPhone Life podcast. I'm Donna Cleveland, Editor-in-Chief at iPhone Life. And I'm David Auerbach, CEO and publisher. Each episode, we bring to you the best apps, top tips, and great gear in the iOS world. And David has a message from our sponsor to get us started. I do. And we have two sponsors today, so extra exciting. Um, So these are two of our longest sponsors, and we love their products. So sponsor one that I'm going to tell you about is Jamf, J-A-M-F. Jamf makes it easy to have iPhones as an employer for your company. So when you buy, when you have iPhones or other Mac products that you give to your employees, there's all sorts of extra settings that you need to worry about in terms of getting a device set up properly with security passwords. If you have custom apps, if you have uh, mail that you need to set up, all of those sort of things get really tricky at an enterprise level or even for small to mid-sized businesses. Jamf makes it super easy to do all of that to keep your employees' devices secure and to manage them effortlessly. So go to jamf.com to check them out and you can have up to three devices for free. So it's perfect solution for any small to mid-sized businesses who are using Apple products. And then our second sponsor for today is Fanatic. And so Fanatic is uh, one of our favorite apps. It's a calendar app, but they do so many things well. I fun, fun fact, I the calendar app on Apple is probably my least favorite built-in app. How about you? <laughs> I know you complain about it a lot. Yeah, I, it's, it's definitely bare bones. It's not just bare bones. It just doesn't work for me very well. Um, I don't know why it is that Apple, who's so good at user interface in so many ways, just really does not seem to get calendars right. Mm -hmm. But where Apple loses, Fanatic wins, and their app is Pocket Informant, and they pay so much attention to every little detail for calendars. So one of my favorite things about it is that it combines calendars and reminders into one app, because a lot of reminders are date-based, and do you put it on a calendar because it's date-based, or do you put it as a reminder? Really, they're two similar functions that should be baked into one app, and that's what Informant does. Also, it works across all platforms. So if you are somebody who has an iPhone, but also wants your calendar to sync on your PC, or if you have a family member that has a PC, but you're using Mac, it works across all platforms. Uh, It's free to try. The app is called Informant 5. So check it out in the App Store on Mac or on your iPhone, or you can go to Informant's website and see it there if you were running a PC. Next, I want to tell you about our tip of the day newsletter. We have a free daily newsletter where we send you a tip that teaches you something cool you can do with your iPhone or other Apple devices in less than a minute a day. So it's a really low time investment. It's completely free. And it uh, is a great way over time to learn lots of tips and tricks that makes using your iPhone so much better. So go to iphonelife.com slash daily tips if you want to sign up. I have a tip I wanted to share with you all this week, and that is how to set up autofill in Safari on your iPhone. I love autofill on my on Safari. I love it so much too. I feel like these days I'm constantly buying things online mm-hmm. or just in general, like creating accounts or filling out forms and having to go in and type on my iPhone is time consuming and really a waste of time when you can be using autofill. So if you haven't set this up, I highly suggest you do. I really think 
that um, it's basically ridiculous not to. <laughs> I'm going to have a strong opinion on that. So how you do it is you open the settings app on your iPhone, scroll down, tap Safari, then tap autofill, and then you'll have a couple options here. It'll say use contact info. You'll want to toggle that on, and then you can just choose yourself from, like they'll, it'll say my info, tap that, and then you'll scroll to your contact card. So then right there you already have hopefully if you've entered this in, your phone number, your ma uh, mailing address, and some other relevant details about you, your name. Um, and then you'll also want to toggle on credit cards. And th from there, you'll have the option to save your credit card information. And this is a big one. I hate entering in credit card information. Okay. I have, I have a couple thoughts here. Okay. Let's hear it. <laughs> is there, this is a question. Is there a way, because what I... I hate entering credit card information as well. Mm -hmm. But whenever I save my credit card information here, it always asks me to still fill in my CVV, like the little three code. I know. Do you, is there a way to have that be entered as well? Because it drives me crazy. I no. have to like memorize all of these things. Okay, I didn't think so. Yeah. That's the problem with the credit cards. So you do, you'll either have to get your card out or memorize that the little three digit code on the back of your credit card. I think that, like, I haven't found a workaround for that. It seems like the it's there as a security measure Yeah. to make it not too easy to just <laughs> autofill all your credit card information. But. Well, and the problem for me is, as, as I've talked about on the podcast, I like playing the credit card game. I like kind of getting new, cycling through credit cards to get miles and rewards. So the... The, the fact that I have to memorize this little three-digit thing is way harder than it sounds because I'm always using a new credit card and I never can remember. Here's my best workaround. It's not really a workaround, but I make sure that I have Apple Wallet set up so that I can use Apple Pay mm. because that is so fast and easy and I love Apple Pay. And I also make sure I have PayPal set up so that I can, if it doesn't offer Apple Pay, I have PayPal as a backup. And I'd say about, what, 80% of websites where you use a credit card, you can do one of those two options. I would say that too. I use Apple Pay all the time. And that's actually a distinction that I want to make too because this can be very confusing. Yes. Is that you actually have to enter in your credit card information separately in Safari Autofill here than you do for like setting up your wallet mm -hmm. for Apple Pay, which I just kind of assumed. I'm like, well, I'm telling Apple what my credit cards are. Like... The, you'd think that information would be shared across Safari yeah. and Apple Pay, but no, it's a separate setup. Apple Pay, for those who don't know, do you want to tell people what Apple Pay is? Yeah, Apple yeah. Pay is basically Apple's way of managing payments securely. So there's a couple way, things that are baked into this. Um, you enter your car, your credit cards in your Apple wallet, and then when you're in a retail location, like in person, you can double tap your power button, and it brings up your wallet. And if you have a credit card set up, it'll come there, and then you just can tap the payment processor, and if it's Apple Pay compatible, then it'll pay for you. Mm -hmm. It works with your Apple Watch too. So it's really convenient. I think a lot of people still feel, um, they haven't gone around setting it up. I know a lot of people have iPhones who kind of vaguely know it exists, but don't ever use it, and I love it. So I'd recommend setting it up. The other half of it is if it's set up on your phone, you can use it to process payments online if you're using Safari. So that's where you'll see a little Apple Pay icon on websites, and when you tap that, it pre-fills your credit card information and your address, and it pays that way. So those are the two halves of Apple Pay. Oh, I didn't really, you have to use Safari for Apple Pay to work online? To my knowledge, I we'll believe so. We'll double check on that. But yeah, but it is really, I've been using it more and more for um, online payments too, not just in store, like yeah. you said. And you set that up, it's through the wallet app. 
So you set that up through the wallet app, you set Safari autofill up through the settings app in the Safari settings. And just the final piece of Safari autofill that I'll share is that then when you actually want to use your autofill, how it works is when you go to a, a <coughs> form that you need to fill out, a little, um, it'll say autofill above your keyboard where you're typing. And so you can just tap that and then it'll automatically fill all the entries. And I still recommend going through and just checking to make sure it filled it in right. Yeah. Before it, before you try to submit it, and also if it was credit card information, you'll still have to enter in that CVV code. But it does it saves a ton of time. This is one of our sort of like staple daily tips that we recycle every once in a while because we <laughs> want to make sure to remind people to do it because it's just it's so helpful. Okay, two more clarifying points. Okay. I don't know why I'm so excited about autofill this morning, <laughs> uh, but I number one is I want to make the distinction. We drew the distinction between Apple Pay and autofill. I also want to draw the distinction between passwords and autofill. So there's something right. called iCloud Keychain, which manages your passwords in Safari and will fill them in when you need them, accounts and passwords. That is actually managed in a separate place. If you go to your settings and you type in passwords, it'll come up. That's a separate thing. Mm -hmm. um, the last thing is just a final recommendation for autofill. I have two identities set up. I have my work and my home as separate identities. In that way, if I'm doing something for work, I can autofill. It'll put in my work phone number. It'll put in my work email address, my work address. Uh, and if I'm doing for home, it'll do all my home stuff. And so that's another thing I'd recommend is you can have more than one identity to autofill if you use this device for work and home or if it's you and your partner using this device, whatever. So that's one last tip for autofill. Good one. And this leads us into our insider question, which is also related. Well, it's not autofill, but it's related to Apple Wallet. So we're okay. talking about all these payments. So topical. Yes. But before I talk about the insider question today, I wanted to tell you about what insider is. iPhone Life Insider is our premium educational platform subscription. We're calling it now more. <laughs> um, that helps you really master your Apple devices. It's still focused on the iPhone. Um, that was our first Apple product that we focus a lot on, but we now have expanded into Mac coverage. We have Apple Watch, iPad, AirPods, etc. So if you're an Apple fan and you want to get the most out of your Apple devices, this is the subscription for you. Um, Apple products, they don't, they can be intuitive in some ways, but there are a lot of hidden features that you need to know how to use in order to get the most out of them. And when you sign up for Insider, you get virtual courses that you can join. That's one way to learn. We have in-depth video guides and downloadable PDFs that you can print out and have for reference at any time. We have uh, the premium version of this podcast without any ads and with bonus content from me and David. And you also get Ask an Expert, a feature that our insiders love that you can use to get in touch with us whenever you're having a tech issue and we help you easily find a solution. Um, and you get guaranteed responses from us. And we also get a video version of our daily tip so that you can just watch and follow along on your iPhone to learn cool things you can do on your devices. And am I missing anything? A digital subscription to iPhone Life Magazine is the last piece of it that you get. Um, and that is, we have more than 30 back issues. Our magazine's been around for over 10 years. And we have a lot of articles that um, from... Apple enthusiasts and experts with app and gear recommendations and, uh, you know, analysis of Apple news and things like that. So there's a lot to enjoy. Go to iphonelife.com slash podcast discount for 10% off for being a podcast listener. And a couple plugs of some content we just came out with. First of all, did you mention live courses? 
I did. Okay. Yeah. So we just finished our photo course. It's everything you need to know about how to edit photos, how to manage all the photos in your photos app. The recordings are still available. Mm -hmm. So you can take it anytime for if you sign up to Insider. We're coming out with our iOS 15 coverage in a month. It's crazy. We are working so hard on it right now. We're going to have a comprehensive guide available the day iOS 15 comes out. We're also going to have live course for that. And if you have an Apple Watch, we just came out with our Apple Watch guide. It's really a must-have if you use an Apple Watch because these devices seem simple, but there's a lot going on beneath the tiny little screen, and it's not always intuitive how to use it. And so it's a really valuable resource for you to get the most out of your Apple Watch. I know. For instance, did you know that you can add a complication to your watch face that um, tells you how many steps you've taken in the day? Because by default, Apple uses its own fitness yeah. metrics. But I still want to see my steps. Uh -huh. And there's a tip in there that teaches you how to do that, oh, which I think is really cool. There you go. Cool. I, I did not know that. That and many more tips. So again, iphonelife.com slash podcast discount. You'll get 10% off. And if you're a senior, veteran, or service personnel, you'll get an extra 10% off at checkout. So make sure to check that off at checkout for a total of 20 percent off and that is what iphone life insider is <laughs> all right so i wanted to read a question that an insider wrote us recently and it's on the same theme of online payments here's the question i've added a new visa card to apple wallet when my old credit card got replaced with my new card however every time i go to pay by card my old card details come up and i have to hunt down my card to fill in the new details i tried restarting my phone in case that was the problem, but still the same issue happened. I had two cards registered with my Apple wallet. Both cards I wanted to use includes my new card. Wow, this is getting a little convoluted. The point being, though, that every time this person tried to go and use their um, Apple wallet, the old card kept on popping up. Here is our answer. Thanks for reaching out. It sounds like you might want to remove your old card from your Apple wallet entirely so it stops coming up. You can remove that entry um, entirely and then add the new card with the correct details if needed because it sounds like the new card wasn't showing up for this person. After the old card is gone and the new card is added, you can set the new card as your default. And that's an important step. Yeah. That might have been the issue. Yeah. You may just be able to switch it to your default and not even delete the old card. But also, why have an old card cluttering up your Apple wallet if it's not a good card anymore? So I do agree with our answer to go ahead and delete that. <laughs> um, or whatever you desire to be your default. Here is our guide on how to do that. I'll also, we have a, an article... Um, on iphonelife.com that teaches you how to set up your cards and how to remove or old cards. And so I will include that in our show notes at iphonelife.com slash podcast as well. I definitely recommend managing your defaults for Apple Watch or for Apple Pay because it happens to me all the time too when the wrong credit card comes up. And Apple, I think sometimes will by default make the default card the like Apple Cash card, which is never what I really want to be using. Uh, and so, um, yeah, definitely be proactive in managing that. My other pet peeve with Apple Wallet, have you noticed this, that they will keep, it seems like to me anyway, that they'll keep um, plane, because you can use it for uh, plane tickets as well which is awesome, but they'll keep it in your wallet even after you've taken the flight. Have you noticed yeah, this? Yeah, I have noticed that. And it's like, why are you not clearing it out? It's the, My flight took place like months ago, and then I have to go at proactively like delete it from Apple Wallet. So I that's also annoying. have that for um, like old 
concerts and stuff I yeah. went to where it's like the tickets still show up there. Yeah. So going and clearing that out makes sense. Yeah. Because otherwise it, because the whole point is for it to be so fast and seamless to uh, pay, like it should be easier than using your credit card. But if you're scrolling through like 20 old, you know, boarding passes and stuff, then it's not saving you that much time. <laughs> no, exactly. And it's worth managing because otherwise you won't use it. If it feels like it takes just as much time as taking out your credit card, you're never going to bother using it. So spend yeah. a few minutes now to enjoy the convenience later. (laughs) All right. So I don't have any comments from listeners this time, but we do have a news item that we wanted Mm. to discuss. Um, And so Apple has recently added or is planning to add child safety features uh, to the iPhone. And it's pretty controversial. And so we wanted to talk about, first of all, tell you all what's going on and like, you know, hash it out a little bit. I was going to say give you our take, but I'm not even sure exactly what my take is yet. <laughs> so we'll have to talk about it. Yeah, to it's, it out. A, it's a complicated one. Yeah. David, do you want to uh, introduce the topic to everyone? Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest, we kind of hemmed and hawed about doing this. It feels important enough to cover. It feels like the podcast is the right medium because it's complicated and we need to talk it through. But also, it's just kind of annoying to talk about. It's a hairy issue. It's a hairy issue. Um, so Apple announced... Um, a suite of child safety features on the surface. Of course, we all want that. Uh, In particular, Apple is trying to protect against child pornography. Again, something we all would love to protect against. Um, Now, this is where things get a little complicated. They are how one of the features within that suite of features in the most controversial is that Apple will now scan Everybody who has an iPhone, it'll scan all of your photos using an, uh, an algorithm to intelligently scan for child pornography. And if it finds child pornography on your phone, it'll alert the authorities. Um, so the <laughs> it's okay. There's a lot of layers to this. Let me kind of just break it down really quickly. Um, the first one is there are a lot of laws around large companies reporting child pornography. So for example, Facebook reports 20 million cases of child pornography per year, which I didn't know until I started researching this. Did you know that? I did not know that. It's terrifying. I almost just swore and made this a not safe for work (laughs) podcast. Uh, It's terrifying how prevalent this is, how big of a challenge it is. And so Apple wanting to help with that challenge makes a lot of sense. Apple last year reported 200 cases. So 20 million for Facebook, 200 for Apple. So Apple, yeah, is not... So far, has not put a lot of attention on this, clearly. Yeah, yeah. but again, it's it's a different business model. So yeah, yeah. what the law, the law clearly states that it does not expect or require you to proact- require large companies to proactively monitor in an invasive way to find child pornography. And that's why Apple hasn't done it. If somebody's posting child pornography on Facebook, then Facebook is obligated, both morally and legally, to report it. But Apple is not obligated legally, and this is where we get into the question of what, what are their moral obligations to report it. Uh, because nobody expects Apple to, up until now, nobody has expected Apple to scan all of your photos. Um, now, here's sort of where it gets complicated, it gets even more complicated. There are laws coming out in Europe that are going to change this, that are going to actually require companies to be proactive in finding child pornography. And so part of what the speculation is, is that Apple is trying to get out ahead of this. And so what Apple is claiming is that they are, in some ways, Apple's trying to have their cake and eat it too, because what they're doing is they're saying, we're using on-device processing. In other words, Apple 
nobody in Apple headquarters has access to your photos. They cannot, they're not sitting there browsing your photos looking for child pornography. It all happens on your phone. And so it's your own phone, scanning your own phone. And so Apple's saying, well, we're going to be required to be proactive on this anyway. Let's do it in a way, in the best way to protect privacy. Um, so that... <laughs> That is it in a nutshell of what's happening. And of course, there's two different sides to this. There's the advocates for child safety, which are have been pushing for this. And then there's advocates for privacy, which is it feels invasive to have Apple scanning your photos on your phone, even if it's for what is a good cause. Did yeah. I set that up properly? Did I, I miss you, anything? No, I was going to say, I think that's a good a good summary of it. I feel like, um, so Apple has a site or a blog post that talks about what it is they're doing. And like, some, they give little examples and some of them do seem more benign, kind of like, of course we should do this. This is a good thing. Like w if you have your kid set up on, on an iPhone and either they're about to send explicit content or receive it like a, a little pop-up screen that will come that will be like, are yeah. you sure you want to send this? <clears throat> are you sure you want to open this kind of thing? And it will alert your parents. But then there's the, the issue of like the on-device, like you said, processing of all of your photos that just is, while even doing that for this purpose, for child safety, while the cause is good, it's kind of setting a new precedent. Yes. Apple has not, up to this point, had the ability to process your photos online. It's before they upload to the cloud, too, to iCloud. Okay. So it's like, like, I mean, I guess that's what it means on device. Yeah. But that, that feels, I think, for a lot of people, a bit uncomfortable. And it, I agree with you. It's a different business model than face, Facebook is content. Yeah. Whereas like your Apple device, well, Apple is now like more of a gray area what kind of company it is because they've... Uh, with Apple News <laughs> and different things, like they've, um, well, but the, still, that's like aggregating content. They're not really doing content production. So I think there's a different expectation from the consumer. Like for me, I'm not, um, there is still more of an assumption that Apple wouldn't be monitoring my content on my phone, you know? Yeah, um, there's an assumption for a couple of reasons. Like you're saying, Facebook, when I post something to Facebook, I'm inherently sharing that with the world. And there yeah. is an expectation that Facebook does have a responsibility to monitor what we are all sharing with the world to make sure that there aren't hate crimes and all other terrible things, child pornography. Yeah. And even within that, though, there are limitations. Like, you know, a lot of people would say even Facebook should be careful about what they are shutting down, you know, if it's just ex people expressing their views or whatever, but then there are things that are more objectively, yeah, like e child exploitation and all that is yeah. not okay. Yeah. Even Facebook is controversial, but yes. th in this area, it's maybe less controversial, but the Apple is, we are not, this is not private public it's private and there's yeah. an expectation that we are entitled to our privacy in particular and this is why it's so controversial for apple apple has in the last few years built a brand around we care about consumer privacy in a way that google and our competitors do not i mean apple's put so much energy into this and it feels like it erodes that trust to say we care about consumer privacy except for when we're going to scan all of your photos well the other thing too is apple has even said in the you know past few years that they don't even have the capability 
to like spy on you through your phone or like, yeah. it, even if they wanted to. And that's part of the reason they set it up that way is that then when the government comes wanting to get into your phone that they can like honestly put their hands up and say like we can't yeah. get into people's phones because we've built them this way for privacy. But suddenly now they're saying they're going to scan all our photos. Well, it is this is where to me it stops being or I, I start to have a, a stronger opinion is this exact one. And there's a great article we'll post to it. It's by a website called Strategery, which is a great website, by the way. Uh, and they <laughs> highlight mm -hmm. this point. It's the difference between capability and policy. Before now, Apple did not have the capability to scan all of our phones. Now, they have the capability and we are trusting the policy. And the policy, if we can trust it, is great. Like, of course, if I could, if you could, if I could wave a magic wand and say, this will only for all time ever be used to scan for child pornography, I'm on board, sign me up. The problem is now it's uh, Apple's policy. And what happens when the FBI comes calling and says, hey, by the way, can you scan for this? Can you scan for that? Another really good example is that it came from this article is China. Apple has already made concessions to China. What happens when China is asking Apple to scan photos for what they consider violations, but what more pro-democratic countries may not consider violations? Right, it, and then Apple is allowing, it might be inadvertently supporting, um, you know, cracking down on people in a way that is censoring or violating human rights, potentially. Yeah, exactly. It could be used to, to track down, you know, people who dissent against the Chinese government. There's all sorts of ways this can be used now that Apple built this capability. Mm -hmm. And so I, that's where, to me, it gets controversial to a point. But the fact that Apple now has the capability of scanning all of our photos, to me, is terrifying. Now, just to take a step back, I am pretty sure that Google crossed this bridge a long time ago. Apple has been sort of the one holdout in terms of privacy. Google, like that's the whole reason we've warned everybody against using Google Photos is that they scan your photos and it opens you up to a host of privacy concerns. So it's a really complicated one. And a lot of times people use privacy and security interchangeably. And I think these issues make it clear that a lot of times they're at odds with each other. And we live in a complicated world where sometimes you have to choose between your personal privacy and societal security. It, it, and partly it's like I this conversation kind of it's hard to talk about. Uh, but also it's interesting because it, it shows that like it's hard to be a purist about any of this stuff. I know. I mean, I have to say that I feel personally, I do feel like uncomfortable that Apple has crossed this bridge that now they're going to scan our photos. And it does, to me, shift a little bit the idea that Apple is staunchly behind personal privacy. It, it erodes it erodes my trust in Apple's privacy stance. And in particular, yeah. and this is the part of the problem too, if the FBI goes and calls Apple and says, well, actually, we need you to scan for X, Y, Z, Apple's not going to release a press release. We won't know. And so we're purely trusting Apple to fight all of these forces that are trying to get Apple to scan them, our phones for a million different reasons. And up until now, I actually have trusted them. I know. Me too. And so it's, it's a rough one. Yeah, it is. And I think that's where I land on it, aside from the fact that it's like, I'm sure the uh, at least immediate result of this will be 
helping to make phones safer and, you know, keeping children safer. And that part of it is hard to argue with. Yes. So it is, it's complicated. Like, it's not as simple as I'm like, this is bad. But when it comes to Apple's privacy and how, um, like, what I think of, of them as a company in terms of how private I feel that the information is on my iPhone, it does change that. Yeah. Um, luckily for like most everyday people, you know, the FBI <laughs> probably isn't going to ask Apple for the information on your phone. So it's like in terms of personal impact, it's probably not that big of a deal, but it's just on a larger scale. Like if, if Apple now has this capability, it does seem there's probably going to be more spying on people happening. Yeah. And, and you hit the nail on the head. It's not like there's, it's not like I'm going to stop using Apple products because where am I going to go? What am I going to use? It's it's a societal challenge of managing privacy versus security. It's not just Apple, but it's frustrating that because Apple felt like one of the holdouts. Yeah. <laughs> Should we make this the question of the week? Sure. What do you all think? Uh, do you think that Apple should have introduced these features in the name of protecting child safety? Or do you think that Apple has been vi has violated our privacy by introducing these features? Um, one last point on this. We try to very, we try very hard to avoid politics. We want to be an inclusive podcast for people of all political beliefs and persuasions. Sometimes politics come to Apple and then they come to us. And so when we do, we, we weigh in, but we're trying to keep a light touch here. And so hopefully yeah. we towed the line between not talking about politics by ta but talking about the important issue. When you send comments, I mean, send whatever you want. But if you send something political, we probably won't read it on air. <laughs> so email podcast at iphonelife.com. <laughs> Thanks. Okay, moving on to very light topic yes, in uh, comparison is app and gear recommendations. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to share, I've like rediscovered a Bluetooth speaker that I love, and that is the Marshall Woburn Bluetooth mm. speaker. And I, I've had it for a few years now. I did a speaker roundup a while ago, but I've like dusted it off. I had like a few, so I got spoiled and been using different ones. Um, and the portable Wonder Boom that is one of my other favorite was I've been using more because of its portability. But the Marshall Woburn, it's a bigger kind of living room type piece um, that it's at least a foot wide and foot tall. I don't have the exact dimensions on me, but the sound is so good. It's, it's just so really, good. really good. Like I, d I feel like you can, um, uh, you could definitely throw like a party or, you know, I'm not saying like a huge partner, <laughs> but, but you could have a party and it would be like a, good enough speaker to uh, play music for people to enjoy, maybe even dance. I think that um, I really like it because I can control the bass on it too. It has like knobs for the, for different volume controls and different sound preferences to your liking. And um, it looks really nice too. It has like a leather outer casing. I have like the cream color, colored leather one. And then the front um, kind of mesh has like a gold sheen to it. So it's just a really classy looking one they have one that's brown too for like a more masculine look um it's 500 bucks so it's kind of expensive but i've had it for years it's still working great and i think marshall also has they have like a few different sizes i have the bigger one that's 500 they have a smaller one that's 250 that i think is also mm -hmm. probably you know great sound too but i think the biggest thing i like about it is that it has that really room filling like bass heavy sound if you want that but you can turn down the bass if you don't want that yeah I've also tested the speaker. I really enjoy it. A couple thoughts on it. First of all, those of you who 
most people probably know, Marshall specializes in guitar amps. So that's really where they have made their mark. That's what they're known for. And a lot of times when people do crossovers like this, I get a little bit wary. But they did a good job. It, it, it also like kind of pays homage to that in the sense that it looks like a guitar amp. Mm-hmm. But in a very cool, like kind of retro way that I appreciate. Um, it also, I feel like, kind of what you're saying, it hits the sweet spot of I feel like most Bluetooth speakers are small and portable, but to the point where you're not gonna like use them for a room full of people. They're more right. like if you happen to be by the beach or something. And uh, I I think everybody needs a speaker in their home for this exact purpose of like for playing music when you have guests over. And this one hits the sweet spot of that. And also what you're saying is exactly what they specialize in, which is they specialize in being able to turn up the volume without losing distortion. So you can actually play it pretty loud, even if you got the $250 version and you still have very clear, crisp sound. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, good good additions to my description because I feel <laughs> like um, the, the, I didn't know how to describe the look of it, but I do like that it has that retro it's, vibe. It's important noting that it's like a guitar amp. It looks like a guitar amp, but yeah. in a cool way, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, we, I happen to have written the speaker's article in years past. So <laughs> um, I have, so mine, it, going a totally different route, is an app. And it's actually not an app. It's, I mean, it is an app, but it's also in the messages app section. What is that section called? The app drawer, the, the message app drawer, app drawer. The message app drawer. So when Apple, I think this was iOS 13, came out with the messages app drawer. And it basically allows third-party apps to have access to, to allow you to use them in messages. Um, and for the most part, I never use this. Do you, like, do you use any apps in your message app drawer? <laughs> Rarely. Um, I almost never do. Um, Except for the Photos app, because they've made, I mean, the Photos app is its own app, but then they made that like a little icon in the app drawer. Yeah, but that's so a mixed, not really, that's a mixed yeah. bag for me because I still, after all of these years, still look for where it used to be <laughs> and always forget that it's in the app drawer. Um, so I almost never use it, but they added, Apple added something they call Images, which is basically their GIF uh, app drawer app. And I've been using it for years, and I was happy that they added it, but I find it to not always work very well. Do you find this? Like, sometimes I'll search for, like, a term where I want to find a gift for it, and it sh- stuff should show up, and it's like, it's we don't terrible. know. It's terrible, yeah. It's terrible. It's terrible. But you know what's not terrible is Giphy. Yes, Giphy is sort of, this is their that. whole thing. And up until now, I just have been sticking with Apple's default, and now I've switched over, and I'm much happier as a person it's g-i-p-h-y g-i-p-h-y thanks did i spell it wrong no you just said it but i want okay. to let people know yes. since since gif is g-i-f <laughs> like that people might search for it using and you know again we'll link to it in the show notes at iphonelife.com slash podcast as well as the marshall woburn bluetooth speaker yes so if you're interested in getting either of those for yourself you can uh, and again, we don't get paid for <laughs> our app and gear recommendations. These are no. our genuine take. <laughs> yes. We, if anything is ever an advertisement, we make it very clear, like right up top. Otherwise, it's editorial. Um, so yeah, I've just found that A, when I'm searching for common terms, like excited, when I use Giphy, I have so many more options and better options. And B, if I'm, use, if I'm searching for like a more... niche term let's say like sometimes i'll be like sarcastic yes (laughs) or like something i wanted like a very specific gif i know this is dorky that works yeah oh yeah i haven't i haven't because like usually i'm like 
birthday and i get kind of like limited responses no and that's giphy has so many options and in particular like if you want to have a little bit more like sometimes i'm looking for a very particular gif or i'm looking for a very particular emotion i'm trying to convey and that's the power of gifs is they're actually like sometimes i think they can be actually powerful communication tools to convey a somewhat complex emotion in a funny way um, so, like a sarcastic yes, for example. You can't say yes sarcastically, but you a, a gif can do that for you. <laughs> you know, I'm listening very carefully to David with this uh, advice because David is really good at gifs. I'm going to. <laughs> so, this advice that he's giving is from a pro. I do feel like a lot of times when we're texting, it'll he, he comes up with something funny that feels very on point. And whenever I go into Apple's images you know like david said there it says images for their gift selection i'm just finding any like trying to send something back and can't find anything funny or relevant seeming at all (laughs) so i will also be downloading okay i've tried it before but i don't know i think it's i haven't used it in a while so apple did the whole thing where they like uninstall it for you because you haven't used it in a while and i had didn't like place it in my app drawer you can also like rearrange which apps show up where in your app drawer right well that's how i ended up using it because it like when you download the app, by default, I believe this is true, that by default it will show up in your app drawer if it's app drawer, message app drawer compatible, but it gets buried at the end. So finally what I did to convince myself to use it is I went into the app drawer and I moved the Giphy one all the way in the front and I buried mm. the images so I would remember to use Giphy instead. And that's, that's I how I do. got in the habit of using it. Um, yeah. So I can we make I want to make this a second question of the day. Are there sure. any other app message app drawer apps that people actually enjoy? Because I feel like I should be getting more out of this, and I never do. Um, so are there other apps that you guys use in the message app drawer? Let us know. The only ones I ever use now are Giphy, and I also, of course, use it for my photos. But I don't use anything else. Neither do I, and I would love to hear what people have to say about that. Not a big fac- uh, big fan of like sticker packs i know no, that's like a, <laughs> that was a big thing stickers. when the message app store first came out and i was like why would i want to start sending people stickers like i'm not 12 and apple makes this big deal about how you can like text people money but at the end of the day i just always use venmo so. it, venmo takes like two taps so it's not like yeah. it's saving me much time and, to do it in the messages app and venmo has a messages app but again it's like i just go into the app i don't know there's a very specific use case where you want it to access from your messages and i just yeah. haven't found a lot of them but giphy is perfect giphy is perfect that, yeah Exactly. Okay, cool. So I, oh, I was about to say, I guess that's it. But no, we also want to come back to our new or seasonal installment of beta (laughs) impressions. I did get Mac OS Monterey, the public beta on my new MacBook Air. I am waiting. Still using iOS 15 on my iPhone. Um, Do you have any like, did you put the beta on your iPhone? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I have a lot of complaints this week. I apologize Oh, in you do. See, mine's mainly complaints, too. But so, okay, I'll start. I, Go ahead. So macOS Monterey, the installation was really easy, and that was nice to find because actually um, one of our staff writers has been trying to get it on her MacBook Air and, like, keeps on having issues. Mm. Well, it won't install for some reason. So that part was fine. Um, and the biggest thing that I like about it is just that now the iPhone and the and the Mac are just closer. They're tied together in a more seamless way as the years go on. And like with this update, that continues to be true. Uh, for instance, now like the menu bar at the top of your Mac, it just more closely mirrors what you see on your iPhone. So it's easier to understand uh, that you're controlling settings across devices. For instance, you can go to like the little control center icon 
on your MacBook and turn on Do Not Disturb or some of the new focus modes that you get with iOS 15. Mm -hmm. I can go into work mode and it will turn work mode on on my MacBook and on my iPhone, things like that. So that's nice. So I I guess the little things I've noticed so far has just been um, that sort of like more seamless connection. And then Safari has been upgraded in on the MacBook as well as on the iPhone. And so I've been like messing around with some of the things like tab groups and just the new look of Safari. And I do like it so far. I have to say, I'm going to spend some more time with tab groups to really like, Yeah. so far I've just, you know, poked around a bit, but I haven't actually tried using it to organize different projects and different groups mm-hmm. yet to like have a more functional review to share with you of like how well that worked for me. So I'll get back to you on that. But so far, so good. Although um, the podcast app is a disaster. Really? With the iOS 15 public beta, both on my iPhone and on my MacBook, I've had things like episode numbers scrambling in in podcasts and stuff like that. Um, So the podcast app still has some issues to work out. That's actually on my list. Okay, let's switch to you now. I went back to Overcast. Oh, really? Because the podcast app was just such a disaster with iOS 15. It like kept every time I'd listen to a podcast, I tend to listen to podcasts that are like half an hour, an hour long, and I'll listen to them in little bite-sized increments as I'm going about my day. It would always forget where I was and forget that I was even listening to a podcast. Annoying. And so I'd open it back up and it would be like, would you like to listen to this podcast? I was like, I was halfway through. I don't know where I was. And I'd have to like go find it and scan to the right spot. And it was driving me insane. So yeah, I don't know why Apple, they like in some ways arguably like invented podcasts and they cannot get it right. So I switched back to overcast. That is my first complaint. Uh, I let me, let me have a couple other complaints. I did, I did think of one nice thing to say for Apple. Um, sorry, I'm just checking my notes here. Okay. Here's a question for you. Are you having a hard time with searching for apps? Searching for apps in the app store? No. On like on my spotlight search is like weirdly like broken. broken and terrible. Yes, because usually David and I both like to open apps by just opening Spotlight Search and typing in the name. Like it's a lot of times faster than swiping through your screens and getting to you know, or yeah. even using the app, not the app drawer, the app library. App library. But it's not faster anymore. Like Instagram, for some reason, when I have to type in the entire name of it. And then, like, it'll maybe come up, but yeah. sometimes it doesn't even. Yeah, no, I, I have the same thing, like, with photos. If I type photo, it brings up three other apps that have the word photo in it, but does not bring up the default Apple Photo app. I type photos, and then it comes up. If I type notes, it'll, like, show me notes within the notes app, but will not just bring up the notes app. It's, like, really broken, which, as you're saying, is actually, like, <laughs> really, really bad for me because... I've for years advocated instead of having like a methodical structure where every app is perfectly put in your library in a folder, I just bury all my apps in my app library and I just, when I want to open an app, I just search for it. Like literally my entire homepage, my home screen is widgets. I don't have any apps. And suddenly it's like become this really frustrating daily reality for me. And it's weird because it's like worked for years. I know. It's. I hope that they fix it. I they, hope they, fix they probably it too. will. I would think that, but we'll see. I think that. I hope so. I mean, a lot of it, I think, is just beta bugs. So I don't want to spend too long on it. Here is one really nice thing, though, <laughs> that I have been enjoying with uh, iOS 15, and it's a really subtle thing where, like, Apple would never advoca- advertise this as a feature, 
but when Do Not Disturb comes on, you get this little tiny uh, like notification that stays on your screen that says Do Not Disturb is on. And it doesn't get in the way, but it lets you know that it's on. Because a lot of times what happens is I'll be going about my my night and then my do not disturb comes on at 9:30 which is a little bit aggressive i don't really go to bed then so i'll be like expecting to like receive text messages i'll be in the middle of a conversation with somebody and suddenly they'll just stop showing up for me and i won't realize that they've actually just been silenced so it's a really nice feature to be like if i'm looking at my phone it will let me know that do not disturb is on and there's a, a little x there so if i'm still using my phone i can just tap that and it'll turn off for me it was a really nice like well thought out user experience and so in a way that like apple had not done for do not disturb up until now so Mm -hmm. i'm very happy with that please fix search and podcasts what are you doing (laughs) i feel like apple needs to do the same thing in safari for their um private search mode like you (laughs) i was like in private search mode in safari for years without even realizing it. oh i know they also should have some sort of something on your screen that tells you you're in it so you can know whether to switch in or out of it they do if you ever open up a new tab in private search the nav bar looks different and that's how you can tell but it's i i all the time don't realize and then i'm like why is it constantly making me log in to my email and all my services i'm like oh it's because I'm in private mode. <laughs> yeah, like I went into private mode like a week ago. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. Um, all right, well, I. that's it for our beta impressions. For our insider section, I'm excited to go over a tip I just taught my dad. He was having a hard time with his iPhone laying flat on its back and wanting to um, open his phone with Face ID without having to have it like totally tilted up at his eyes. And I have a tip I'm going to share in our insider section. So insiders stick around and the rest of you, we will see you in a couple weeks um, for the next episode of the iPhone life podcast. I almost said the last next issue. You can tell I'm thinking <laughs> about the magazine. All right. Thanks everyone. Thanks everyone. <laughs>